Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. People like to compare this version, this COVID-19, this coronavirus to SARS, which was the last really major outbreak where uh, it was it was a significant uh, epidemic in Asia and other parts of the world. You know, big differences are China at that time was roughly four percent of global GDP. And what year what year was that? Uh, What was that? Circa 2003, I believe. Okay, Yeah, Uh, totally different world. Yeah, right. I mean, the exposure to China in the global supply chain was just significantly different, as well as, you know, China's own internal economy, the the amount of material that is that is manufactured and consumed there today is is much more significant. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. On today's podcast, we're delving into a topic that's been on many people's minds these days, the coronavirus. Our guest is automotive supply chain expert Dan Hirsch, managing director at Alex Partners. Dan is briefed daily by his associates in China about how people in manufacturing are dealing with the coronavirus. As a used machine tool dealer specializing in high-production equipment, I've encountered plenty of fire-damaged machines. An average fire costs a business $300,000 to $500,000 and six to eight weeks of lost production time. Installed on over 15,000 CNC machines, FireTrace protects shops running oil-based coolants by automatically detecting and suppressing fires within seconds. FireTrace systems are safe for people and machines because they use clean agents that leave no residue. The systems are compatible with all major machinery brands and can be installed within a few hours. For more details, go to www.firetrace.com slash swarfcast. That's www.firetrace.com slash swarfcast. I am thrilled to have Daniel Hirsch, Managing Director at Alex Partners. He is going to talk about supply chain today, and we're going to discuss the coronavirus. Thank you for coming on the show, Daniel. Thanks for having me, Noah. So first, just give us your background real quick um, so people know where you're, where you're coming from. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Detroit, a uh, long history working in the automotive industry for both OEMs and uh, tier one, tier two suppliers. Uh, since going into consulting, I've primarily worked in uh, procurement and supply chain roles and, and projects. I've taken a number of interim leadership roles. Uh, most recently, I was the global director of purchasing for a tier one auto supplier uh, with, with significant global operations. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, fairly, uh, fairly well versed in uh, all things purchasing and, and supply chain, typically in discrete manufactured goods areas. Okay. I, I saw an article where you were quoted in industry news. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like every day people are talking about Corona even more and more. And I thought, all right, well, we should talk to somebody about it. Yeah. I'm assuming that a lot of people have been talking to you about this. 
Yeah, it's a hot topic, right? And and of course, rightfully so. People like to compare this version, this COVID-19, this coronavirus to SARS, which was the last really major outbreak where uh, it was it was a significant epidemic in Asia and other parts of the world. You know, big differences are China at that time was roughly 4% of global GDP. And, and today, what year what year was that? Uh, what was that? Circa 2003, I believe. Okay, yeah. Totally different world. Yeah, right. I mean, the exposure to uh, China in the global supply chain was just significantly different, as well as you know China's own internal economy, the, the amount of material that is, that is manufactured and consumed there today is, is much more significant. So, um, you know, the impact on global supply chains is still a big deal. Uh, the impact on China's economy, China's manufacturing is is really the bigger story. Um, I suspect most of your your listeners are, are more interested in getting materials, getting components, getting parts out of China. Uh, and now, of course, they should be thinking about uh, other areas than China. Italy and Korea have become the, the current uh, uh, worry beads areas of concern. And so, um, you know, those are those are parts of the world where uh, machining, manufacturing, steel parts, a significant supply base exists in those areas. And so, yeah, it's it, I think part, one of the hardest things about this is just uh, not being able to know how it's going to impact operations, what the local response is going to be. I mean, we've seen what China did and, and, and you know, by all indications, uh, the government and businesses there, you know, shutting down, limiting exposure, limiting travel, uh, keeping people, frankly, quarantined and away from each other seems to have been the right thing, the right type of response. And that is certainly how you control a uh, right. uh, a disease like this. But Of course, we don't know if what they're telling us, what they're telling us is true and what isn't. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 always that. I mean, China's always had that criticism. You know, the feeling, and and I'll I'll tell you where where my information comes from. Our our partners that are located in China, you know, boots on the ground, kind of give us a daily mm-hmm. briefing on what both what they're seeing from the government and what we're seeing in real time from the companies that we're working with there. Okay. Um, it it does you know it, a grain of salt, and that's not that's not a knock on the Chinese government. Frankly, it's a knock on on any any type of government and any type of communication. Our government would never tell us anything. Sure. I mean, you know, there's always messaging. (laughs) You always want to control panic. But yeah, I mean, just just not being able to know how this is really going to impact businesses, how it's going to impact people. Um, You know, you, you have to, to some degree, just just take trust in the numbers. I mean, it's great news that the the incidence of new cases that that deaths seem to be falling. I mean, that the the human story is positive. Um, that also gives you some hope that uh, that business will get back on track relatively soon. Of course, the worst thing you could do is try and get ahead of this and get people back to work too soon because then then people start getting sick again. Right. I was reading that like, you know, somebody I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. They were saying the problem is if you send people back to a factory and then one person has it, then yeah. you have to close down again. And that's even worse. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it would just it would potentially start all over again. Now, there there are kind of two aspects to this from a personnel from a, from personal standpoint, not personal for me, but you know, for for from a humanitarian standpoint, this this outbreak couldn't have happened at a worse time because at, at Lunar New Year, so many people travel in such tight quarters. 
um, that the exposure that, that that's a big part of why the exposure was more widespread and why people were were so affected by it because they're traveling within China, so it's spreading all from the cities to the countryside. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, massive numbers of people uh, commute uh, during that period across the country in some cases. And, you know, it's different in different areas. Some some provinces have a much more local, stable uh, workforce than others. But, um, yeah, the, the, the on the business side. It couldn't have happened at a better time. I mean, that's that's one of the few things that that you can pick for a bright side is coming up on the Lunar New Year. Everyone that would be buying goods coming out of China was planning for a vacation, right? An eight day shutdown. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows Lunar New Year is eight days. We, you know, you know, a year or two in advance when it's going to be, how long are people going to be gone? And so, you know, a company that's maybe in the automotive aftermarket or, or some other other similar, you know, less less planned than automotive industry they will have gotten extra safety stock, at least on the water, right? Everybody's scrambling in November, December to make sure their orders are in, make sure everything's going to be made, make sure it's on a boat in time to get out before the Lunar New Year. And so there was more material in warehouses in transit than there otherwise might have been if this popped up, you know, in the middle of July. Mm -hmm. But at the back end, nobody was expecting an extra eight to 12 days, which is what we saw. Right. And in some cases, you know, there are still factories that are that are down. So some of the factories have opened up that were down. The the majority of factories that that were down have opened up. There are still some that are uh, that won't open till March. I had some notes here. I think it's 41% of factories. So, th- so this is a, a Chinese government survey of roughly 1,000 982 enterprises. Uh, 41% had resumed by February 14th, which was kind of the, the end of that the, the Hubei province shut down. The 10th was, was the other provinces. 41% expected to be up by the end of the month, which is this week. This is, by the way, everybody, this is February 26th right now. So That's correct. Yeah. This is supposed to come out in... Actually, not for wasn't going to come out for two and a half weeks. So who knows? This whole thing could be way outdated. Yeah. But, yeah. I was going to say you might want to bring that forward because this would be so dynamic. By the time this comes out, we'll be talking about other countries and other uh, other impacts. But yeah, at, at this point, as we sit today at the end of February. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I can rush it. We'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, 80 plus percent should be back to work now. That's open. The bigger issues that you have are around transportation and workforce, right? So there are still significant numbers of people that are either quarantined due to travel, unable to get back because the transportation networks are down or just frankly afraid to travel. And so uh, what I'm understanding is a lot of companies are are running it at suboptimal capacity, 30, 40 percent of what what they would like to be. One statistic that I one index that the Chinese government is watching is electricity usage, right? To get a broad based view of of manufacturing, you can look at how much electricity was used in, say, 2018 and 2019 during the same period post Lunar New Year. And then they're looking at what does it look like now? And it's it's about 57 percent of the level. Right. So we're we're less than 60 percent of uh, activity by a year ag- than a year ago. 
than a year ago and the year before. So yeah, the, the chart's really interesting. If 2018 wow. and 2019, it's kind of a line that craters into the Lunar New Year, comes up pretty quickly, within a couple of weeks is really back to nominal, back to an index of 100. And then the line for 2020 is just this practically flat, low slope recovery. Okay. You said uh, in industry news, I read 30 to 40 days, we'll see the parts shortages hit. Um, yeah. Is that the same forecast now? So that was 30 to 40 days from September, I mean, from February 14th. So you're talking uh, March, uh, mid-March. I mean, you know, that's very much a, a bit of a, you know, uh, estimate. And it will be, some will come earlier, right? That's very industry uh, influence, right? So, and when I say that, what I mean is in automotive, we have very lean supply chains. We don't keep right. large amounts of material in warehouses or in transit. We we rely on a lot of transparency, a lot of you know shared information to make sure that uh, if I'm running a car plant, I don't have to keep six weeks of safety stock. I, I know exactly where everything is. And so industries like that, that rely on just-in-time, just-in-sequence manufacturing are going to be affected much sooner than, say, uh, automotive aftermarket companies that are more you know, B2B, B2C type sellers that have a lot more volatility of demand, less ability to plan, their forecasts aren't as good or in their control. And so they tend to have larger safety stocks. And so they will, they'll have planned differently. They'll have had more material on the water or they'll have had more material at the at the supplier uh, that they can quickly deploy. Yeah. Um, and then there are others that are, are simply uh, have yeah, pretty fat supply chains and it will take longer for them to work through all of the excess material. But at the end of the day, these shutdowns have been they, the pure shutdown was, you know, the eight to 12 extra days. But the time it's taking, you know, we're almost a month after the end of, of the planned Lunar New Year. And what, what do we say? We're at 50 percent uh, of the capacity, 57 percent of the capacity that we would have expected um, given a normal recovery. So you said that uh, just now that stuff is is coming back. It's opening. I was reading that Hyundai and Nissan in China, they're totally closed down. Yeah, the, some of those plants, particularly in Hubei, closer to you know ground zero for the outbreak, are still through March uh, closed closed down. But you think, based on your sources, they will open, reopen? Well, that, yeah, they'll they'll open eventually. So the reasons for their shutdown, I'm not sure, and I'm sure they haven't published why. So they, either they're considering parts shortages or people shortages. Or, or possibly, and probably more likely, they're they're just taking into account their workforce and want want the workforce to get well. Make sure that bringing them back to work is not going to create a resurgence of of the uh, of the epidemic, and shut them down further. Right. So that it's a bit of an abundance of caution. But those are primarily the, you know those those Nissan Dongfang and and uh, others in that area are the ones that are closest to where the outbreak happened. They're the most affected. Uh, their supply chains are probably relatively short, meaning they have relatively local suppliers. And so, you know, they may simply be thinking, listen, we could open up. We're still not going to be able to get all the parts we need. And, you know, one thing to remember is there's no degree of importance where one part is more important than another. If I don't have every bolt and uh -huh. nut and, and transmission, 
I can't build the car, right? So I've got to have everything. And so they're, they're most likely focusing on assessing the supply chain problems, uh, triaging and then addressing them. So putting them in the right priority and then deciding, okay, what, what's the right thing to do? Uh, we could bring people back to work. If we're not going to have enough parts to make cars, what's the point? Let's just wait this thing out. And so that's, that's, I think you're, you're seeing that, but those are a couple of plants out of the, you know, the hundreds that are in China. Okay. Well, obviously you can't predict the future, but should our American listeners, European, what should we be preparing for? Are we preparing for higher demand for our parts? Are they going to be covering for the stuff that they're not getting in China, um, should they be buying more machines, uh, perhaps, or or? So uh, the first, so the first question, yeah, th- there's a good possibility, if not for certain, probably not to supply the China market, but um, you know, particularly with machine parts that are not at quite as reliant on hard tooling you know, like castings or things like that, something where you can program and relatively quickly get a get a part tooled up and, and the process kind of right. finalized and made. Uh, yeah, there's every indication that uh, between not being able to get the parts out of China and now, you know, Italy and Korea also big uh, steel machining centers, uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of parts supply out of those. Um, U.S. companies or, or North American companies, frankly, are likely to want to shorten their supply chains. They're going to want to work with companies that are are more local that that you can work in real time, right? So, what yeah. about turning? What about turning companies? Yeah, I, I think the same. I think all of those. Uh, I they mean, can, they could the people who can set up their machines. Maybe they were running these jobs a couple years ago, and sure. now they can put them back on. You see that as a definite possibility. Yes. And now what I would say is I don't know that I would advise anyone to be going out to buy machines themselves, but certainly things that you can get more quick. I mean, you're talking about adding capacity to fix a situation that may only be six months or a year, right? So is your threshold to pay off a machine six months or a year? Probably not, right? Not Certainly not a brand new machine. Now, maybe used, used right. equipment, possibly, right? Um, but at the same time, if this could have happened, uh, you know, there's nothing good about this epidemic, let's be clear. But the auto market in China has been down over the past couple of years. It was set for some recovery this year. The U.S. auto market is going to be down this year. Uh, Europe's been flat. And so capacity should not be a problem, right? Capacity mm. to make parts really shouldn't be a problem. So adding capacity will be a very individual company by company decision based on how much you have and, and what type of types of things you can or want to do. Right now, we do not have the, call it the the downstream problem that China has, meaning if, if a Nissan plant is closed and I supply that plant, but I'm open because my, you know, my plant is up in Chongqing or someplace that's, that wasn't really affected, I still don't have anything to make because my customer is not taking parts. Mm-hmm. That's not true for the U.S. right now. Right now, the U.S. plants, the U.S. consumers are still making and, and buying as needed, right? So we have a supply problem for the U.S. We don't have a demand problem yet. Now, if all of this, all the fears come true and we have to start having similar shutdowns in the U.S., then we'll have a downstream problem. And that becomes a very, that becomes a different problem to solve. 
Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graph Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graph Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. Well, okay, so it hasn't happened here. Say it doesn't happen here, but we know it's happening in Italy right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, we, we, we don't know what the heck is happening, but some factories are shutting down. Sure. How has that changed your, and I, I'm probably the 10th person that's asked you that in the yeah, last right. two days. So what's the latest, your latest analysis? Yeah. Well, so the way to address these problems, you know, these are not new things, right? So this coronavirus, yes, this is, this is the new problem today, but there have been, there, there are large scale issues like these that have happened before. A great example that most people remember is the tsunami that hit Japan in what, 2011, right? That caused widespread uh, damage, shutdowns of power grids, and it it really impacted uh, companies in two ways. One, companies that were too concentrated in their supply chain, and two, that didn't have backup suppliers or, or plan Bs and plan Cs, right? And so coming out of that, there was a lot of work in by most companies that were in business in diversifying their supply chains, either by having multiple suppliers or making sure that they didn't have everything in one region. But also, even if you didn't tool up a second company, knowing who are my three or four other companies that I can go to quickly, right? So when I quote, when I help a, a client quote something out, uh, we don't just you know decide on the final person who gets the business and then throw out all that information. It's you know you you develop relationships with the two or three that were really wow. good suppliers, um, so that if something like this happens, you go okay, my guy in in uh, in China is shut down. I need to go back to this guy who was my second best quote and then find right. out. But the problem is this is everywhere and we don't know where it's going next. It's not just like one country. Yeah, no, that's true. But, you know, it, right now it's it's really uh, it's serious in three countries. Um, we don't know how it that will would be China, Korea and Italy. Try China, South Korea and Italy. That's exactly right. What about Japan? Uh, Japan is not uh, has not announced. Uh, I mean, there, I think there is been what one death but i don't believe we've seen any kind of large issue or any type of you know okay. shutting down like you know venice shutting down carnival that's that's a pretty good indication of how serious that they thought that was right yeah so um yeah i mean you you've well, got, plus it's uh, a lot of internationals so that's the crazy the whole thing is kind of getting my crock brain going like yeah because next week as we said but there's probably going to be something totally different what about um, I was I was listening to sort of a doom and gloom podcast this morning on the way to work. And I, I know you're not this isn't your specialty, but have mm-hmm. you talked to people about like the medical 
industry. And, you know, I know like lots of the generic drugs are made like 90 percent. They said on there, 90 percent of generic drugs are made there and heparin mm-hmm. is made there. And yeah. what what's the talk on that stuff? Uh, you know, it's it's similar. Uh, you know, the, those are manufactured goods at the end of the day and the supply of whether it's raw materials into the country, within the country, the plants running, um, those are all those are all the same types of issues as, as uh, manufacturing. Those tend to be more continuous process. So once they're up and running, they're they, you know they're typically less labor intensive, uh, even in, even in a country like China. But yeah, the the, the transportation issue is going to be a big deal. Mm. Um, at minimum, if you if they can get the manufacturing up and running again. And I'm not up to speed on whether those plants are running or or where the, the centers of excellence or centers of manufacturing for pharmaceuticals are in China. I don't know if they're in Wuhan or as far from Wuhan as possible, but that's an important part of this. But regardless, the, the shipping, uh, it's going to add a lot of cost. Um, so the question of availability is one. The question of, of whether there are uh, cost hits in the short term is another. You know, the, I'm not actually terribly familiar with how they ship drugs, whether they always air freight them for age purposes or whether they could spoil on the ocean. If they already air freight them, then there probably isn't a big concern. If it's if it is typically ocean shipping, ocean shipping is getting. You know, when we talk about that 30 to 40 day thing. That's the next big deal, right? You've got a lot of ships sitting, doing nothing. Um, That's capacity that is lost capacity. So wait, why are they, why are they sitting doing nothing? Because they don't, they're not filled up? Because there's nothing to make. Nobody's making anything. So there's nothing to ship. The parts that left China already, those ships are getting, you know, what is it? 23, 28 days to get from China to the US. It's only about... 19 or 20 to get to Europe, right? So they're there, they're getting there within a week or two, and then, you know, a trip back, but there's no new parts coming, right? So the part, the ships that were already on their way back to China to get their next load, they're going to get there and there's nothing to, nothing to move or the, the amount of, so the, the one data point is uh, uh, liquid containers, you know, uh, tanker ships, those rates are down 80%, 80%. right? So now that's so why are people using airplanes now i mean i read people are using airplanes to to fly over stuff is that because there aren't enough ships to do it so no 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 there's plenty of ships it's it's so if you think of it like this i have i'm ordering one container per week right let's say i'm just getting one container of stuff per week it goes on a ship and i've been doing that for a year so every week i've got a container and so at any given time I've got four containers on the ocean because it takes four weeks to get from the port in China to the port in LA, right? Now, stop shipping for four weeks. What do I need to do? I need to get four containers to me very quickly. The only way to do that then is to air freight because if I don't have that, those four weeks of containers sitting in inventory, safety stock someplace, then I have to expedite my shipment in order to get my supply chain filled up, right? It's just it's just like getting an uh, an air bubble in a uh, in a pipe, right? So you're you're trying to push water through the pipe, and as long as the water's just flowing, it's no problem. All of a sudden, I've got an air bubble. I, if I need the water there, then I have to get the the only way to get it there faster is to bypass the bubble, right? So that's right, that's what right. the air it is like. That's what I kind of figured. Okay, so it's yeah. bypassing the the that's boats right. that aren't coming. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, so as far as the science of it all, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'll admit it. I don't, I don't totally get it. I can 
somebody told me today that like if somebody breathes on something or coughs on something, it can actually stay on an object for 24 hours or something. Is that true or is that BS? Uh, no, I, you know, a coronavirus is um, a fairly common type of virus, as by my understanding, you know, that the common cold is a type of coronavirus. It's that this particular version of it seems to be very contagious and has a relatively high fatality rate, right? It's, it's somewhere close to and a half to three percent of people that get it seem to die. Compare that with uh, I think it's point five or point oh five percent for the flu, right? So far more people get the flu, far fewer people as a pretend as a percentage die from it, right? But it, this is the type of virus that does not last for a long time on dry surfaces, right? So the the, the wisdom or the, the science seems to be limiting interpersonal contact and washing your hands, right? These are the two best ways to to avoid this virus. And, you know, my, my wife's a nurse, so we talk about this quite a bit. You know, wearing a mask is somewhat effective, but, um, you know, mistakes people make are that they wear the mask for, you know, multiple days, right? That's a, that is a one-day device. Oh, really? Often people are not. Oh, yeah. People are not wearing the right type of mask. Right. So these these viruses are very small particles. If, if you're wiping your eyes, you know, if you're touching something that that does have the virus on it and, you know, how long this particular virus can last on a dry surface. I don't know. I'm not sure if if they know yet. I'm not sure if they the scientists have figured that out. And I and if they have, I just haven't read the uh, that part of the news. But, you know, let's say somebody sneezes on a uh, sneezes in the air and it lands on a desk or lands on a handrail in an airport and then you touch it and you wipe your face. Well, that's that's typically how people are getting these uh, these diseases. And so that's why this interpersonal contact, uh, limiting it, limiting travel, this is why this is an effective way to stem the epidemic and seems to have been right. fairly effective. But it's also why it was such a problem to have it happen at Lunar New Year when everybody right. is and but and you can have it and no don't know you have it and and that's the really scary thing like if if everybody who had it yeah you know coughed up blood then you would be fine but yeah that's right it, it's uh, there are a number of people that are asymptomatic that don't have a fever that maybe just think they have a cold and and you know honestly it's not always easy to tell the difference between this virus and a simple cold virus if you look at um, the the history of this news cycle. There was a period a week or two ago where all of a sudden the number of reported cases spiked by a couple thousand in a day. And it wasn't that the rate of infection went up. It was the rate of detection went up. They started being able ah. to detect the disease and determine. And, and part of the evidence of this was not only did the number of cases go up, it was the number of reported deaths. And it was people that had died in the prior weeks that were just now getting a different test. So um, it's the detection of the of the virus that has also changed. And now but now it really seems to have uh, come back down if we can believe everything we're being told. Sure. And we can't. But, you know, I, I don't consider myself a big conspiracy theorist. But, you know, it, what and, and again, I, I'm not don't expect you to be Nostradamus or anything. But say there is some quarantining in somewhere in the United States and mm -hmm. some things start shutting down. Sure. Then what's going to happen to the supply chain? Is everything here going to just stop? Or um, is that just I, an, a stupid, impossible question? 
No, no. I mean, listen, it's it it will look it would likely look very much like uh, China in that case. There would be a so what what's happened there if if we had the same type of thing, we had an outbreak and the CDC or or the U.S. government decided the way that we're going to address this is a quarantine, which means nobody's going to school. People shouldn't go to work. Um, I, the the impact to the U.S. should be quite a bit less. Why? Because we're less of a manufacturing economy than China is in relative terms, right? So your ability, my ability to work remotely is significantly mm-hmm. higher on a per capita basis, right? Interesting. So okay. uh, now in large terms, you know, as a percentage of GDP, I'm not even sure that's true, but in, in the sense that we are typically much better able to do our jobs from home, from, you know, someplace remote. Like, I, you know, I'm currently in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I don't live here. I'm at a, at a client. I, I travel, but I wouldn't have to, right? I right. could still do a lot of my work. I could converse with people much like you and I are right now uh, and still be pretty effective, not perfectly effective, but um, w- it, it will it will certainly cause a dent. It will certainly. Well, but the people, the people listening to this, mm-hmm. they're the people with the yeah. factories. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's a risk, right? That's, um, I mean, uh, if you... it happens in California, mm-hmm. then is that going to like drastically, it would drastically affect somebody in Detroit? Right. It, it could. I mean, certainly there, you know, I have suppliers in California for uh, with some of my clients. They buy machine parts. I have uh, clients that are Dallas based that have plants in California that, you know, make aftermarket motorcycle parts. Right. Those are, you know, those would certainly be affected. Um, you know, I, I think one of the one of the statistics out of that same uh, Chinese government study that I read Forty-two percent of those enter. So we remember a thousand enterprises or nine hundred eighty-two enterprises are were were asked these questions. Forty-two percent of those enterprises will run out of cash in three months, and ten percent of them will run out of cash in one month. So if repeat repeat that again. So out of the nine hundred eighty-two enterprises, again, this is a China. This is in, these are Chinese China. companies okay. in China, right? So that we're talking about this as a corollary to what could happen. They still have to pay salaries. They still have to pay rent. They still have to pay fixed overhead. There are fixed costs that they still have to pay. Those 42% of those companies that were uh, surveyed would run out of cash if they were if if this continued for three months. And 10% will run out of cash, which means, you know, ostensibly here it would mean bankruptcy or having to borrow more money, I guess. But you know, if you don't have cash flow coming in. Then and you've got all your fixed costs, which may include labor and salaries and other things. You've got a cash flow problem, right? And so that's one of the aspects that um, you know. If you're thinking about just being somewhat prudent, you should probably secure some type of line of credit before it becomes a bigger problem. You should probably. I'm not saying go borrow money, but make it available, right? These are the types of things that. Being proactive in your business, you, you should be thinking about to some degree. Um, you know, the the health and safety of your workers should absolutely be paramount. Um, but you know, you also have to protect protect for the business in order for them to to be. What, what will happen if these companies in China go belly up? Ah, uh, you know, uh, the, I think the common wisdom is they will get help. 
Um, some of them now it really depends. Are they state owned enterprise or state state managed enterprises? They will get treated differently than a purely foreign owned or a, a joint venture type of enterprise. But they'll keep going somehow. Uh, yeah. Somehow they'll keep, the government will keep them going. That that is what history would tell you. Right. That is typically what would happen there. You know, um, now the insurance coverages and things have really changed. A lot of companies have uh, started to exclude epidemics as uh, a force majeure or as a as a reason for coverage. And so, you know, the the implications, some of the legal and financial implications of these shutdowns are really dependent on how your contracts are written. Um, You know, so some will get help from insurance. Some will get help from the government. Some may fail. Some may go into a bank, and I and I honestly, I work for a company that is are experts in bankruptcy. I don't personally know <laughs> how bankruptcy works in China. I don't know what the framework is there. Yeah, before we wrap up, I just what is and I'm putting in a terrible position here, but like, mm-hmm. what's the best case scenario from today, from February 26th? A a conservative best case scenario, and what is a worst case scenario? Uh, for for the next, uh, I don't know, two, three months? You know, a, a best case scenario is that, you know, Italy and Korea get things under control, that countries that are proximal to them take the right steps and keep this from really becoming a, a global pandemic. Um, and that, you know, people get back to work. And within, I you know, at this rate, it would be, it looks like another four to five months anyway before things are really back up to speed but then you would expect to see somewhat of an acceleration for some of those businesses that are catching up for the missed demand mm-hmm. you know you may see some government intervention um kind of like what we saw back in 2001 here in the united states you know keep america rolling types of things the chinese government chinese enterprises could certainly do the same thing you know china's auto industry was on its way to a bit of a recovery this year and so um, that's probably derailed. Uh, you're going to see single-digit percentage impacts to global GDP, like uh, you know, stock market and everything else in in China and the U.S. are are going to take uh, some pain in the short term. Worst case is you know the worst case. It's uh, like the zombie apocalypse. I mean, if you really <laughs> want to get crazy with it, but um, no, I mean it it, it could. Uh, you know, worst case would be that it continues to spread, that people and governments don't take it seriously, that that we allow it to uh, jump off into into new areas and cause more shutdowns. Um, that would be. Are we overreacting? Um, it doesn't feel like it right now, but you know, th- this is one of those things. Time will tell. I I think most people would agree you'd much rather overreact with something like this. I mean, this, these are these are people. These are people's lives. Um, and the, the, the long term uh, is much more important than, uh, you know, short term business gains. Right. Sure. It's, it's much more important that we uh, that that we consider, you know, the people in this uh, because and, and that's that's not just a purely humanitarian view. That's good business. It's a business thing. Yeah. That's yeah. A bus- that's a good business view. And so that that's the type of thing. But, you know, you should be. Companies should be planning for these contingencies, um, you know, there and it doesn't you don't have to plan for every contingency, just just the most reasonable two or three, which, you know, you have to assess what is your 
impact, uh, likely impact if, if certain of your customers uh, do go down or, or if, if some of your supply is, is likely to be constrained or disrupted? Uh, what can you do to get back on track as quickly as possible? What can you do to avoid a problem before you see it coming? So um, if, if you are somewhat exposed to Europe, uh, are there, you know, if you if you've been avoiding switching for some reason um, and you have viable suppliers uh, in North America or other parts of the world, you should probably be talking to them and at least getting the conversation going. The sooner, the earlier ahead of that you are, the better off you're likely to yeah. be, even if you don't end up needing it. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you. I feel like every day I'm becoming slightly less secure. Hopefully that'll change you know it all depends on who you read and etc yeah yeah for sure that's, that's you know like true. we had some machines that we were like really excited to buy and now it looks like maybe we won't be able to buy them and i'm starting to think oh, maybe that's not such a bad thing <laughs> but but man plans god laughs that's right that's right the best laid plans as they say From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noah Graff. Our audio engineer was Bill Steffi. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com. <laughs>